going on, everyone? Welcome into the newest episode of Scoing Long. I'm your host, Zach Neal. On today's podcast, we are bringing on USA Today's Jack Carlo, a Colorado Buffaloes insider, to talk about Coach Prime and how his life has changed since Deion Sanders was hired in Boulder. The Buffs went from arguably the worst team in the nation to one of the most fun things to talk about in college football this year. So we're going to get the inside scoop from him on, on how everything has kind of transpired in Boulder over the last couple of months. We're also going to talk a little bit about Oregon's game against Colorado on Thursday night. I know this podcast is coming on Thursday in the morning. When I booked this interview with Jack, uh, it was before the Ducks face planted against Stanford on Saturday, so the matchup between Oregon and Colorado looked a lot more appealing than it does now. I'm excited to bring on Jack Carlo and talk about Coach Prime and the Buffs in a second. But before we do that, we got a couple of Oregon things to talk about. First off, the Ducks made another big splash in the transfer portal on Wednesday. They got another big commitment, this time from uh, Ole Miss safety Tysheem Johnson. Uh, this one's really important for a few reasons, mainly because Johnson comes to Oregon from a major position of need. He's a nickel safety, uh, which we've you know we've talked on the podcast. I've written uh, extensively on Duckswire that. Safety is a position of need for Oregon. I mean, they lost Bennett Williams. They're luckily getting back Jamal Hill. They're getting back Steve Stevens. Uh, they've got some nice players in there, but it's it's kind of unclear who the stars are going to be at that position. We saw that they brought in Evan Williams from Fresno State. That's a really nice addition, but uh, you get Taishim in there. He visited this past week. I know those, there was some good vibes out of that. And he commits on Wednesday. He's a nickel safety, which if you're if you don't understand what nickel safety is, it, as compared to free safety, it's more of a box safety. You know, it's more of a physical run stopping someone who who's going to line up against tight ends and running backs and be able to cover pretty well, and someone that's likely going to be one of your best tacklers on the team. I mean, this guy is a, a proven physical player. He had 78 tackles last year for Ole Miss, which is third on the team. If you compare that to the Ducks, it would have been the first most on the Ducks. I mean, Bennett Williams led the team with 72 last year. Jeffrey Bossa had 62. Noah Sewell was third with 56. So we know that the Johnson is coming to Eugene with the ability to tackle. He's got a nose for the football. He's physical, and we know that he's going to be, you know, in every play, in and around the ball. He was named to the SEC All-Freshman team in 2021, his first year with Ole Miss. He was a former four-star recruit in the 2021 class. And, I mean, it's just, I'm really excited about this. He's another huge pickup from Lanning, someone who slots in to probably start from day one, at least compete for that starting nickel spot in spring camp this year. And it, it's really cool if you look at this from, you know, a macro lens instead of the micro lens because Oregon's kind of developing this new reputation as a team, especially when it comes to the transfer portal. They're really getting this reputation as a place where guys can transfer to rejuvenate their career a little bit. I mean, you look at Bo Nix, you look at Christian Gonzalez, Bucky Irving, hopefully Jordan Birch, Evan Williams, Tysheen Johnson. These guys, you know, they they may have been highly rated recruits coming out of high school, and the start of their college career just didn't go quite as planned, you know. So, but thanks to the transfer portal, that they're allowed to, to pick up and move and find a spot that suits them better. Maybe a scheme that fits them better, a coach that they that they mesh with a little bit more. So, 
Um, hopefully Taishim can come, come to Eugene and, and find his spot. He's got two years of eligibility. Um, I'm just, I'm really excited about this. This is a really good pickup. If you want to learn more about Taishim, we've got an article up on Duxwire. That's five things you need to know about him. Uh, really good stuff, but this was, this was a really nice one for Dan Lanning. Okay, the second thing to talk about, the Ducks have officially announced the hiring of Chris Hampton as the new co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach on Wednesday. Uh, a lot of people had kind of wondered why the official announcement took so long. Uh, I think we first learned about this hire a week and a half ago, maybe a couple weeks ago. I forget what exact date it was, but it's been a little bit. I mean, we've already seen that he's been recruiting for Oregon. That came out before he was, you know, the official announcement, so... I mean, it was, it was pretty clear that he was coming to Eugene and was part of the coaching staff, but, you know, even I was a little, not concerned, but confused as to why the, uh, the official announcement had come out, and uh, I know that some fans might have been worried about whether or not it was actually happening, but, you know, that did become set in stone on Wednesday, which is great. Uh, we've talked a lot about Hampton before on the podcast. I've written about him on duckswire.usatoday.com. Uh, just a really, really good pickup. The former two-lane defensive coordinator. He comes with a lot of experience to Eugene, and a pretty impressive resume for what he was able to do turning around the two-lane green wave this past year. Um, I'm excited about what he can do, and you know he comes as just a safeties coach and a, a co-defensive coordinator, but I think he's going to have a big footprint on this defense, and I think he's someone that you know if Tosh Lapoy for some reason might leave down the road. I mean, if he gets a, another job somewhere else. Uh, I think that Chris Hampton's someone that can step up and really slot into that defensive coordinator role pretty seamlessly. Okay, the third thing to get to, uh, things are heating up a little bit when it comes to Adrian Klim and the New England Patriots. There was the report, I believe it was last week, that Klim was being interviewed for the offensive coordinator job in New England. Um, their report came out on Monday, I believe it was, that Bill O'Brien... Uh, the former Alabama Crimson Tide offensive coordinator and actually former Houston Texans head coach was named the offensive coordinator in New England. He's got a, some ties to Bill Belichick, so that's not a major surprise. Um, but despite that, I know that Oregon fans might have seen that Adrian Klim wasn't getting the job and, and had maybe a, a bit of a sigh of relief. But I don't think that there's this is over between New England and Adrian Klim. There's reports that the Patriots still after Clem trying to to get him somewhere on their staff, whether it's, you know, offensive line coach or run game coordinator or something. They're still kind of going after him, hoping that they can pry him away from Oregon. I know that's going to be tough to do because Clem, I believe, is owed 850K uh, at Oregon plus a 200K buyout to leave the Ducks. Uh, when you compare that to NFL salaries, that's pretty pricey. I mean, there's not many coaches at the NFL level that are not offensive or defensive coordinators that are making, you know, a million or more per year. So um, I know there's a lot of logistics to sort out if Clem is to leave Oregon, but and there's still a lot to be done. But I got to say, it, it kind of seems that there's a lot of buzz here. And I I would be a little bit surprised if Clem ends up staying in Eugene. I just, I kind of see him at coaching at the next level. Uh, he's someone he coached for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's got three Super Bowl rings. I mean, I kind of see him above the college game. Um, he's a really, really good recruiter, a really good coach. He he did really well at Oregon and really helped them. I mean, he coached one of the best offensive line groups in the nation this past year and got the 
He helped get the the highest rated offensive line commit that Oregon's ever seen in Josh Connerly last year. So um, I don't know. I could see this one going either way. If I had to put money down on it, I would say that he probably ends up going to the Patriots in some capacity just because I I think that Clem is someone who has higher aspirations than college ball. Um, I think that he he probably would have liked if his stint with the Steelers went better than it did, but he came back to Oregon, and like we were talking about earlier, he came back to Oregon and kind of rejuvenated his career a little bit. And, um, you know, if he's able to land a job with the Patriots, good for him. That's awesome. I really hope he, uh, he has a bright future ahead of him, and I hope he has a great career. Um, if he stays with Oregon for another year or two, I think that's fantastic, and that's what every Oregon fan should be hoping for. Um, but this one will be interesting to watch play out over the next, you know, few days, few weeks, few months. I'm not really sure what the timeline will be. I bet it will be, I think we'll probably learn a, a little bit more in the next week or two um, as they try and, as Bill Belichick tries to fill out that coaching roster in New England. Okay, those are my quick notes about the Ducks. Let's bring in Jack Carlo to talk about Coach Prime and the Colorado Buffs. All right, it is Wednesday afternoon at about 1.30 Pacific time as we record this. I want to make sure to note that in case anything wild or insane happens, if there's any major recruiting flips or breaking news items announced between now and when this episode drops on Thursday morning, because as Jack knows, that's entirely, entirely possible when talking about the Colorado Buffs these days. Uh, Jack Carlo is here with me. He's the managing editor of USA Today's Colorado Buffalo's Wire a co-worker of mine that I've had the pleasure of getting to know over the past couple of years. Jack, thank you for coming on. How are we doing? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Zach. Um, yeah, doing well. Um, yeah, of course, been a busy couple months here in Colorado, um, but we're enjoying as much as possible. And yeah, like you said, uh, you got to be on your toes because, you know, anything can happen pretty much. <laughs> Absolutely. It's been pretty much daily. Daily, something's happening. So I initially um, but... brought you on... I initially brought you on to preview the Oregon versus Colorado basketball game that takes place Thursday night. This drops Thursday morning. But, you know, with the current state of both Ducks and Buffalo's basketball, especially after Saturday's atrocious loss to Stanford for Oregon, and the the wide array of other topics there are to discuss, I'm going to give our listeners a bit of the dessert before the vegetables, so to speak. Let's talk about let's talk about Deion Sanders, the absolute seismic shift that this single person has kind of caused in your life over the past two months is remarkable, I'm sure. So yes. for you, what has life been like since December third, twenty twenty two? Um yeah, I mean I have the fortunate opportunity to yeah, go to that intro press conference, which was really, really cool. Just yeah, just being in that room with a ton of donors, alums, um, it was just crazy to see like how much excitement there was in that room. Just so much more compared to like the past couple of coach hires as you, as you'd expect. Um, but yeah, just pretty much overnight Colorado has gone from, you know, being, you know, at the bottom of power five football and really even like FBS football, I think last year, um, they're, you know, ranked near dead last and pretty much everything. Um, yeah, so overnight going from that to, you know, being talked about amongst, you know, Alabama's, the Georgia's, um, <laughs> yeah, just those level schools in terms of recruiting and yeah, just getting, see you in the limelight on pretty much every national media outlet. So it's been, it's been awesome. So this, 
this may not be the most pressing question that I could ask you, but as a writer, I've been really curious of your answer for this. I know how much more enjoyable our job can be when you see those page views and you see those clicks and the trend upwards. I mean, I feel lucky that I get to run an Oregon site and that the Ducks are a national brand and that it's, you know, it's popular. People people want to read about the Ducks. It makes my job a lot easier and a lot more fun to do. Um, mm-hmm. So now that that's kind of changed for you, how much more enjoyable does it make your everyday job? Yes, definitely more enjoyable. Um, yeah, I mean, not to get too personal to myself, but, you know, just with my career and stuff, this, this has changed things for me. It has, like, just with, yeah, you know, the amount of page views we're getting. Um, yeah, it has definitely forced me to, you know, put a ton more time into this. Um, and, yeah, it's definitely been more lucrative, which is good. Um, but, yeah, we, we work hard at Buffs Wire, so I'll... I'm, proud of that um we've got two great writers in tony casolo and matt wadley um they've been great this whole time and there's just so much more for us to write about and that makes it a lot more enjoyable and um yeah hopefully you know i i can't wait for you know spring football and then yeah fall camp to start did you ever think that you would be covering recruiting this much in your in your job <laughs> no. at buffswire no, not really. Um, recruiting has always been like one of my like more favorite things to write about just because I cover a lot of like high school sports around this area too as well. So I've always kind of had a passion for, you know, kind of that area. Um, so I've definitely enjoyed that part of it a lot more. Um, yeah, just learning so much more about how, you know, like official visits work, like non-official visits and just how there's so many like intricacies to recruiting and you know all the different time periods and stuff like that so I've enjoyed learning a lot more about that and um yeah just seeing like four and five star names you know the link to Colorado pretty much every day has been awesome yeah I feel like every top five or top seven or top eight that comes out now like Colorado's definitely one of them I mean we talked earlier this week that you know, the Buffs offered one of Oregon's 2024 commits, and I just told you, it's like, hands oh, off. Yeah. Like, he, he committed to <laughs> us. Let's let's keep Dion away from him. So yeah. that's something that I wish, you know, when we launched Duckswire a couple of years ago, I didn't really know anything about recruiting. I didn't cover it. I, it just really wasn't too much on my radar. And now, two years later, that's something that I really wish someone had told me to get into more because, you know, we see how much it clicks. We see how much fans love recruiting because it's selling the idea of the future to them. And so I, yeah. it's it's really nice that you have a, a coach now. And we have another coach in the Pac-12 that brings this type of outlook to the conference because, you know, a rising tide lifts all the, all boats. And if we've got this attention in the conference, it's good for everybody. Yeah. Especially with yeah, Utah or USC and UCLA leaving next year, I think. I mean, it's probably going to be us, you guys, Washington and Utah kind of, you know, leading exactly. the way the next few years. So that's it's exciting. So earlier this week, Fox analyst Joel Klatt, a notable Colorado alum, he came out and predicted that the Buffs will compete for a playoff spot in 2024, if not this year. What are your thoughts on that? Do you see a miraculous turnaround where the Buffs can actually win? 10 11 games this year or is your opinion more based in reality <laughs> I, I would say probably more reality just going to be safe um it seems like the general kind of thought is like if cu makes a bowl game next year that's that's a, a successful year i'm happy with that um just because yeah we've had so few bowl games the past 
you know, like 20 years now. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, he's already brought in, I think like, what was it? Like 40 total, either like commits or transfers. I think that's including 2024 and 2025, but it's just been an insane amount of roster turnover with guys, you know, leaving and coming in. But still like, I don't know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play it safe and I would say six wins <laughs> is kinda, and, it, and again, it's also a super difficult schedule with, you know, every team in the Pac-12 is facing next year just with, you know, the talent there. Um, and he's got a pretty difficult non-conference schedule, so I think six wins is probably safe. Yeah, that, that provides a good transition to my next question. We talked about the Pac-12 schedule on this podcast last week. Uh, it's clear that the Buffs are going to have a, a pretty tough road early on and a tough schedule overall. I mean, you got TCU, Nebraska, mm-hmm. Oregon, and USC as for your first five games. You play UCLA, Oregon State, Washington State, Utah, all in there as well. I mean, what are you kind of touched on it a little bit, but you think six wins is your, your reasonable expectation. What would be considered underperforming for you? Four wins, probably. You think um, so? But yes. I mean, yeah, I mean, again, we got to m- mention that they were 1-11 last year. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's, it's weird. It's a tough, like, going from, like, the worst of the worst to, like, you know, just the insane amount of transfers coming in. It's, like, it's kind of hard to, like, gauge how they're going to, like, mesh in year one. I'm going to say my expectations are a lot higher in 2024. I would say that's the year when you know, I think eight, nine, ten wins is going to be more realistic. Um, but there are there are wins available in Colorado's schedule with, like, Washington State. Colorado State should be a win, I hope. Um, Nebraska, maybe, I would Nebraska. say. That's, yeah. that's going to be a good game, I think, with Matt Rule. It will be a fun uh, game, yeah. Yes, yeah, that will be a crazy environment at Folsom. Uh, looking forward to that. But, yeah, I mean, still, you got USC and Oregon the first two weeks of Pac-12 play. I'm still not totally confident the Buffs are quite there yet. I don't know. I, I got to see how this team looks in spring football before I can kind of make those, yeah, kind of predictions, I think. I agree. I think when I was, I mean, I was looking at the Oregon schedule, and in my mind, I, I penciled that Colorado game in as a victory. But I think it's, I was talking to Matt Zimmick about this last week or two weeks ago on the podcast. I think it's really smart of the Pac-12 to get those games between Oregon and Colorado, USC and Colorado, early in the year because that's when everyone really wants to look at the Buffs and see what they are, see how good they can be, and see what you know Coach Prime can do at a, a Power 5 school. Yeah. So I feel like Colorado is kind of in a sense where Oregon was last year where you don't really know what to expect. You've got this new coaching staff coming in, a ton of roster turnover, and you you're just kind of trying to see what they can do with the transfer portal pieces, the the recruiting pieces. So, I mean, we we mentioned a little bit of the just how many of the new players you have. You've got QB Shador Sanders. You got Travis Hunter, the former number one overall player in 2022. Cormani McLean, the number one cornerback this year, who was a Miami flip. Uh, Dylan Edwards, running back, a Notre Dame flip. Of those players. Uh, and please correct me if I'm leaving out any, anyone either that you think is the answer, but who do you think makes the biggest impact early on? Okay. I mean, besides Shadour Sanders as a quarterback. Yeah, that's kind of the easy answer as a quarterback. Um, I mean, I don't want to say Travis Hunter just because of so much hype uh, around him, but can I give you an under, I'll give you an under the radar name. Uh, please do. Say do, say do Treor. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Okay. Um, he's an Arkansas State transfer tight end. I think right now in 
CU's transfer portal rankings in terms of the guys we brought in. He's the second highest rated guy, I believe, um, on 24-7 sports. Um, I mean, you know, tight end's not going to, you know, change the game necessarily just because of the position he plays, but I don't know. I, I just wanted to give him some love just because I feel like he's not really talked about enough. Um, but other than that, I would probably go... Yeah, I think Travis Hunter is a pretty obvious answer. Or Carmody McLean, too. Uh, yeah, the five-star that we just flipped. Um, like, CU secondary is going to be, yeah, just insane next year with those two. Have you have you heard any buzz? Well, what's this whole storyline with five-star Nicholas Harbour, the, the tight end slash athlete, potentially visiting Colorado this past week? Do you have any clarity on that whole thing? I know that Oregon fans are very interested because he's taking an official visit to Eugene this next weekend, and the Ducks are trying hard to land him. So if Coach Prime kind of gets his hands in there, I think there's a little bit of concern. Yeah, so that, that was mostly yesterday, I believe, or was that Monday? I think um, so, yeah, I think so. so. I think it was... So he posted on Instagram uh, just the caption, Boulder, Colorado. He like the geotag thing you can do on Instagram story. Mm-hmm. So everyone here just assumed that he was in Boulder, right? Which I think is probably... I mean, it's like a, a fair thing. assumption. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I think I think it was uh, Steve Wilfong with 24-7 uh-huh. Sports. He reached out to his parents. And his dad was like, no, <laughs> he's at school. He's not in Boulder, Colorado. He's nowhere near there. Um, so then like pretty much everything got redacted right after that. Um, but even, even him posting Boulder, Colorado on his Instagram page, I I think that's a good sign, at least for me. Um, I mean, it gives you something to write about. Absolutely. (laughs) But then then he said, yeah, he had an in-home visit with Oregon, Mm -hmm. uh, last night or Monday night. I think it was Monday night. Um, one of these nights. It kind of went from super exciting to like, oh no, like Oregon's, you know, taking taking this dude. So yeah, it's just interesting how I mean, like we like we mentioned already, just the fact that you know that you have this stuff happening in Boulder right now, whether it happened or not, whether he was in Boulder or not. I mean, it doesn't doesn't really matter. The fact that they're kind of in the conversation like that uh, just shows the the power that a single coach can bring to the organization. Which leads yes. me to this, you know, this final question about Dion. How long do you think he stays in Colorado? I mean, what's your, what's your estimate? What's a, what would be kind of underselling his time? How far do you think he goes uh, in Boulder? I mean, at Jackson, he was there three years. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's 2020, Um I'm, I'm going to say three years again is probably a safe bet. I think everyone here knows it's probably not. He's not. He's not going to be here like ten years. But we're also like we're like cool with that. Like it's not a bad thing that he's only here three years, just because of his ability, you know, just to turn the program around. And then when he does leave, which will probably be in the next few years, um, you can hand the you know head coaching job down to like a Charles Kelly, who's a defensive coordinator. Um, he we got him from Alabama. Um, he's done a lot of good things recruiting recently. He's probably my top pick to. Yeah, you know, take that head coaching position if he's still here in a couple years. Um, But yeah, I think just with the coaching staff, the program's in such a better position that even if he's here only three years, like, I think we're okay with that. (laughs) Well, and he can, he can just bring that level of talent in. And even if when he leaves, a lot of the top players will transfer and and follow him, you still have depth and you have players that have come to Colorado and, and realize that, hey, I actually really like it here and there's 
there's something here past Dion. So um, I think it's it's obviously really good for you, really good for Colorado, really good for the Pac-12 too, because they, you know, we mentioned with UCLA and USC leaving and potential more conference realignment. This gives them another brand and another another story in the conference, another good team which they needed. All right, I mentioned it earlier, um, but it's time to get into the vegetables of this conversation, unfortunately. Last time Oregon and Colorado met on the basketball court, the Buffs won by, I think it was 27 points. That was one of the many low points for this Oregon team. We've seen a lot of highs as well. Um, They play again on Thursday night, this time in Matt Knight Arena. I personally have no idea what to expect from the Ducks tomorrow. I'm someone personally who enjoys to place a wager here and there. And I've had to cut myself off completely from betting on the Ducks because I've simply, you know, it's impossible to predict what they're going to do each and every night. You know, they get blown out by ASU at home and they turn around and beat number nine Arizona, you know. And I lost money on both of those games. They turn things around against California and look to have momentum. And then they flop against Stanford, the worst team in the conference. More money down the drain. So as you look ahead to this game, do you have any sense of what to expect? Or are you as confused as every Oregon fan out there? I think the one thing that I'm like kind of confident of, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. Um, okay. CU's offense is kind of struggled recently just with turnovers and yeah like we saw last time in the yeah, C oregon matchup buffs held oregon to like 40 points 41 points so i think i think i kind of see that happening again just with how these teams are kind of trending that way yeah i mean for the buffs it'll be all up to yeah kj simpson and tristan da silva having big games um yeah i think the one thing i'm confident of is it will be low scoring um, hopefully I'm right about that, but we'll see. Okay. I may be, I may be staying off of one side or the other and just taking the under tomorrow. That may be what I'm doing. <laughs> I think if, yeah, if you were going to bet, I think that's safe. I'm going to say. So CU is 12 and nine on the year. They've got a nice win against number 24, Texas A&M early in the season, but they're four and six in conference. What's your outlook for this team? Is there any confidence that they can kind of turn this around and maybe make a run? maybe uh it's just tough with the schedule um i think last weekend when they i guess two weekends ago when they lost to usc and ucla i think after that it was like i it just kind of took a dip after that in terms of kind of excitement because they were rolling the previous week after sweeping the oregon schools in boulder but and then they lost again to washington and i think I think we're kind of chalking this up to more of like a rebuilding year. I think I think next year it's kind of there's a lot more excitement with a few uh, uh, good recruits coming in. Um, but I think at this point it's probably similar boat with Oregon, like bubble NCAA team, but probably NIL or NIT. <laughs> um, yeah, you got your mind on recruiting, of course. I don't blame you. There's so many NLI, NIL, NIT. <laughs> yes. Right now. Uh, yeah, NIT. I think that's probably a safe bet for this team. Um, but yeah, I think next year is when things will kind of co- start coming together with this group. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, for, for both Oregon and Colorado, I mean, they're they're typically good basketball schools and they're teams that I think that you believe should make it to the, conference or to the NCAA tournament each year. But yeah, these past couple of years have not been great. We'll see how tomorrow night goes. Um, I hope it's a competitive game. I hope it's not another 27-point blowout either way because that's just not as much yeah. fun to cover. 
Um, all right, if you want to keep up to date with Jack's work, you can get it all at coloradobuffalowswire.usatoday.com or follow him at Jack underscore Carlo. That's C-A-R-L-O-U-G-H on Twitter. As we've said already, there are there seems to be something new to talk about every day in Boulder. So uh, if you want to stay tuned, that's where you can do it. Jack, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much, Zach. Okay, that'll do it for another episode of Going Long. I want to thank Jack again for coming on and catching us up on everything that's taking place in Colorado over the past couple of months. I will be back after the weekend, likely on Monday morning. We will talk more about basketball. Let's see which version of the Ducks end up showing up on Thursday and Saturday night against uh, Colorado and Utah. And let's hope that we have something positive to talk about. We've also got signing day taking place next Wednesday, February 1st, so we will look ahead to that and see what we can expect from the Ducks. Maybe there's some more fireworks to come. I'm not quite sure yet. We'll uh, we'll find out more about that. Thank you again for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at www.duckswire.usatoday.com or follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. I'll talk to you guys next week. Until then, take it easy.